Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Uh, we hope that you've got your scriptures open. Uh, we're looking at Mark chapter 9, uh, continuing that story, Mark chapter 9 from verse 30 today. Uh, we'd love you to join along and follow along. A few questions I'd like you to uh, consider, and perhaps it's, you know, I'll be more mindful of it in this medium uh, to encourage us, whether in families or personal devotion and reflection, as you read through this text, and maybe it's not the whole text, but maybe you want to take out a few verses of this text over this week. Consider what stands out for you. What are the words, the themes, the pictures, the images that are standing out for you? Maybe what are the words that catch you off guard or take your breath away? What stands out for you? What surprises you or what questions do you have? That's the whole framework of what stands out for you in this text. What do we learn about God? What does this text say about who God is or the character of God, the nature of God, the heart of God? What do we learn about humanity? That is big picture, worldview kind of philosophy. And then it gets a bit personal. What do I learn about myself in this text? Where do I place myself in this text? Uh, what is God saying to me in this text, through this text? What is he inviting me into, convicting me of, encouraging me through? And then now that I know all this, now that I see all this, or now that God is revealing all this, uh, what will this mean for me? What will I do with now what I've heard or seen or had revealed to me? Now, sometimes that might mean there's nothing there and you're not, you know, don't be overwhelmed by it. Just let it sit let it overflow in you and uh, be encouraged by whatever comes. Uh, really love to encourage you, particularly, you know, as we're in this season of lockdown and maybe struggling, maybe it's just a way to go through the text over the next week and continue in conversations with friends and family or perhaps on your Zoom calls with life groups, whatever that might be as well. For those of you who know me will know I suffer from a bit of white line fever. Um I, uh, some of you I can see on Zoom are laughing at me because you've played sport with me. Um, so uh, I am pretty intense once I hit a court of any kind, once I hit a field of any kind. I like to go out and I like to, I like to say it's like to know that I do my best, that I like to contribute and have the capacity to, um, to do the best that I have and to get others to do that as well. Uh, most of all, I guess, I have this desire to win, to be honest. Let's let's just be brutal about it. I hate losing. Um, uh, more recently, though, as I'm aging, getting older, getting into midlife, um, I've been playing squash over the last couple of seasons. And actually, one of my teammates recently told me she'd like a bit more fire from me. She was a bit disappointed with the amount of aggression that was coming out of me. She thought I could have fired up a bit more, got a bit more passionate, showed a bit more energy, showed a bit more angst towards my game. Uh, maybe that's an indication of my growth and maturing as a person. I don't know. Um, I'd like to think so. I'm still competitive. I still like to win. I hate losing. But maybe I've learned how to adjust that a little bit. I say all that because I've recently heard, and particularly in our current situation, a number of Christians talking about Christians winning in the end. I've heard Christians uh, talking about uh, the nature that oh, when it all gets to the end, we win. And I understand what people are saying. I understand what we are saying. But to suggest that we are winning suggests, therefore, that someone else is losing. To suggest that we are the victor is to suggest that someone isn't going to be the victor. 
Um, and there's a whole lot of people who will um, have a sense of disappointment. Uh, now, I guess there is some truth to that. I understand what people are saying. There is victory in Jesus. We are in a spiritual battle. I'm not demeaning that. But I, I'm concerned and cautious about if we are simply placing ourselves on the winner's side and saying, as long as I know who God is, uh, and that immediately puts us, or the way that I lead my relationship with Jesus, immediately puts us in opposition to other people. And I want to suggest today that Jesus might actually invite his followers to consider another way. Is this world and following Jesus simply about winning and losing? Is it simply about being in opposition to other people? Or is there something deeper that we're invited to participate in as part of our community? Now, before we read the text today, remember we've just come out of Peter has confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah. Uh, then he's started talking about it. Jesus started talking about his death. He's taken three men up onto a mountaintop where they've had this wonderful experience of what's been called the transfiguration. And God has said, this is my son. Listen to him. Uh, and then they've come off the mountain to discover there's a group of disciples who aren't able to heal a young boy. Uh, and Jesus brings that healing. And then what we read is this text from Mark chapter 9. And I'll just share my screen again, I hope, if I get the right buttons. Here we go. This button here. This one here. Now, I'm hoping you see uh, a follow uh, screen there. And we're going to going into uh, Mark chapter 9. Verse 30, so they left that place, that's the place where the transfiguration and the healing happened, and they passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing a bit about on the road? I love this. They were afraid to ask Jesus what he meant about dying and being raised again, but they had an argument. Bizarre how, and I know I would be in that same spot. So verse 34, they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down. So he goes into teaching mode. Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John. <laughs> We saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. He wasn't on our team, Jesus. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. An incredible text. And maybe, as I said, you might not want to go over all of them in the week to come. Just choose a few verses that are perhaps resonating with you the most. This is the last time that the disciples passed through Galilee and Capernaum. This is their hometown, home district, but it is not their final destination. In fact, what we're going to find over the next few weeks 
is that this message gets increasingly tougher. So steal yourself, ladies and gentlemen, because this doesn't get any easier to read, to follow, to be a part of the way of Jesus. Um, there's certainly, we talk a lot about life and the blessing that it might be, but there's some cost in that as well. And there's some challenge in the way that we participate in that. But it is very clear that despite walking through the hometown again, Jesus is very uh, intentionally pointing towards and seeking the disciples to come with him in discovering what it means to live out of obedience and in relationship with his father, with the creator of heaven and earth, with creator of the disciples, with creator of humanity, with the creator of you and I. And I want to suggest today that we have to learn the ways of obedience all over again. With all the upheaval and challenges that we're facing and have experienced, perhaps for many of us in uh, my generation and younger, this is the first time we have experienced anything where we have been affected so personally and so dramatically. And it's having such a huge shape and significant influence on the way that we view community, on the way that we express community, on the way that we participate in community, on the way that we reflect the heart of God. And I want to suggest that through today's text, we are being invited to consider what it means, again, to live out of relationship in obedience to the Father. Um, the second statement of Jesus, this is the second statement, the second time that Jesus says he's going to the cross. Now, the first and third time, the other two statements in eight, chapter 8, verse 31, and again, that we'll look at in a couple of weeks around 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus specifically says that he's going to be given over to the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law. In this text, in Mark chapter 9, he says, I'll be handed over by men. So there's a real indication that there is a, there's a, a, a battle of two kingdoms, if you want. Uh, there is this tension of two kingdoms, uh, two expressions of life. And there is the uh, man-made rules, regulations, traditions, and there is the kingdom of God. There is the rule of authority and power and status, and there is the kingdom of God. And the challenge is how, how are those expressed and how does the kingdom of God begin to influence and shape and bring about life-giving participation for all who receive this kingdom? See, this is not the kingdom declaration that his followers were hoping for. See, there's not a military, bleh, there's not a military, political, or economic uh, coup in history that talks of dying first. You consider all the coups that we might have seen on the news. There's not one general, there's not one government leader that would have stood up and said, "You know what? The way we're going to change our nation is if I die first. Not a single one. So this is not a coup that the disciples are willing or ready to hear at the moment. And it's, let's be honest, it's not particularly a coup, and that might be not be the best word for it either, that Jesus is really setting up for his disciples to participate in either. <laughs> what do you mean you're going to die? How is it possible that your kingdom is going to reign, Jesus, if you're talking about dying? But this is exactly what Jesus is indicating. This is exactly what we need to understand and come to terms with, despite the fact that it's going to happen in a numerous different ways, variety of ways for each of us, what it looks like to die. Life in Jesus, the kingdom of life, in fact, comes through dying to ourselves. It's not very glamorous. It's not very exciting. It's not very commercial. It's not very sellable, but it's the best way of life. 
And we have the benefit of hindsight. We sit here and go, man, these disciples are thick. How can they not see it? All right, let's put ourselves there. Are we really seeing it in our relationships? What do we hold on to that prevents the kingdom of God from really taking full effect in our own lives? What are the conversations that we hold on to? What are the experiences that rule our lives? What are the ways that we see in other people who we think, that's not fair, we cry out to God, how come I'm not getting? How come I can't have? What does it look like for us to die? Because we sit here and say, well, the benefit of hindsight, I don't understand why these disciples aren't getting it. I'll tell you what, there's some days, ladies and gentlemen, if I was to be brutally honest, I don't get it either. I don't get it either. After all that Jesus had done and taught, speaking of his death, it is astonishing, is it not? The disciples can walk down the road and talk about who is the greatest amongst them. Can you imagine that conversation? Can you imagine that? Put yourself in this conversation. How would that go, do you think? Peter starts the conversation, and for no other reason that Peter seems to be the most, the loudest, the most vocal in this group of disciples. Well, fellas, I'd have to be the greatest because I announced that Jesus was the Messiah. How good am I? You know, I got that. That's something that was given to me. None of you said that, did you? And they all look at him and say, oh, come on, Peter. And remember when Jesus whacked you over the head and said, get behind me, Satan, you idiot. Like, who is the greatest? And Peter retorts then, yeah, but then I got to go on the mountain, you know, and then you made a mess of healing the boy. You know, what kind of disciples are you? And then James and John get fired up and they say, hey, hang on, we're on that mountain too. What are you talking about? Now, just it's hilarious to me that Jesus waits, like he's just kind of drifting along, allowing the conversation to unfold. What would that conversation be like? And I know that's poetic license. I've just made all that up. I don't know how the conversation went. Maybe that's a reflection of what I would do. And then Jesus stops when they get to the next town. Invite. He sits down in the middle of the group, calls them to himself. There's a real intent about this. Hey, come here, gather in close. Just as I read that text, Jesus calls the 12. He's, you know, they're in the house, but he still calls them. He wants them to pay attention here. Grasp this. Grasp this. What are you arguing about? Some time ago, um, I was invited to lead on a number of youth camps. And uh, one particular, I spoke at a couple of youth camps uh, a little while ago. Very important position, I'm sure you can appreciate. Uh, pretty important role in lots of ways. And you know, it was uh, great fun to be able to go away and spend a week with some great people who I've still got great friendships with and to see these kids grow in faith and to have their lives shaped by these camps as well. And throughout the course of the week, you're invited to participate in an elective. Um, now, I was really mindful, I, I thought, of uh, trying to be in uh, engaged with the kids and involved with the kids. And I chose this one elective because leaders were invited to go and participate in whatever way they wanted to go mountain bike riding. Now, in mountain bike riding, I thought something I hadn't done before, I would go and do it and participate. And we were given the instructions on how to care for the mountain bikes and what not to do and how to do that. And it was within the first five minutes that this kid did some trick. I don't know if it was like a bunny hop or a jump or something. And for whatever reason, he whacked my front wheel on my bike and actually buckled it. He hit it that hard that he buckled my wheel. That meant that I couldn't go bike riding. I was fuming 
absolutely ropeable. Um, now I was very, you know, inside, I say, I was very calm towards the kid. I, that's, I don't have that memory, to be honest. Um, so I kind of walked back to camp with this bike on my shoulder, absolutely fuming and disappointed at this one thing, this one thing that I wanted to do that I missed out on. Now, as I think about that, I actually think about that with some embarrassment because I know that it would be easy. We'd sit around and say, well, he should have listened to instructions. He should have been, yeah, he could have been. Yeah, maybe that that could be right too. But I remember being so cut up that I wasn't able to do that one thing for me. And in that moment, I think as I reflect on that, I actually lost sight of who I was there to serve. So that camp wasn't about me. That activity wasn't about me. It was about seeing kids come closer to Jesus. And that one moment, I got so intent on my position and what I wanted to do that I lost that I who I was there. I lost sight of who I was there to serve. Have you ever thought you deserved more recognition? Have you ever thought you didn't get enough credit? Have you ever thought someone maybe didn't pay enough attention or didn't see or didn't recognize you enough? for what you had done or how you'd cared for them or how you served them or what you did in the church and how long you served in the church for and how long you served in that ministry for. I want to invite us to remember the invitation to serve because when Jesus calls his disciples back to himself, he says, hey, we need to pay attention here. This isn't about position or status or perception. This isn't about how good you might look on social media or how many awards you've got on your wall. If anyone wants to be first, he must deny, He must be the very last and the servant of all. If anyone wants to be the first, don't let that be your focus. In fact, let the focus be your willingness to be the servant of all. And Jesus demonstrates this, of course, with healthy boundaries, taking good care of himself, having good self-care, all those things. I'm not denying that. But in, the, in this picture, he welcomes children. Now, the power of children in this moment, these are the people with the least influence, the least voice, uh, the least sense of power, the least capacity to contribute to the ways of society. These were the people that were to be welcomed in, the least amongst us. And there's other texts as you read scriptures and I invite you to go and do your own word search around the least. And in fact, remember, if we go all the way back into the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, Jesus, God says often to Israel, you are the least amongst the tribes and I call you out to bless you so that you might be a blessing to others. God always seeks to raise up the least amongst us. What does it look like to put to death our sense of position, our status, our record, our recognition, our awards, our desire to be seen? If you want to be a part of a purpose that endures beyond anything else, welcome the least and serve others. And again, this is fascinating <laughs> because then John turns, one of those great disciples, one of those who'd been up the mountain, and Jesus, we saw this guy healing someone. And we told him to stop because he's not a part of us. He's not the same as us. He's not part of our team. We told him to stop. Jesus says, why? Why? You read the text. Obviously, I've added a little bit there. 
The more I have considered this, the more I wonder here if the disciples, someone's responded out of jealousy. Now, remember, remember, not long ago, there was a group of disciples unable to heal a little boy. And remember, not long before that, Jesus had sent them out. They were proclaiming the kingdom, healing, casting out demons, and then all of a sudden it wasn't working. And then, and then they see someone else doing what they thought they should be able to do. And again, maybe that's my own heart, and maybe this is a reflection of God doing something in me. We can so easily get caught up in jealousy in what we see other people able to do when we thought we should have been able to do it. What does it look like when we see that to be able to serve and keep serving the least of all? Even if we're not getting the recognition or even if we're not doing it the way we thought we could be able to or have been invited to be able to do it. You think they'd be happy to see healing happening, wouldn't you? You'd think they'd be willing to celebrate. Man, you know what kills serving one another quicker than anything else? Our comparison to one another. It'll kill our capacity to serve quicker than anything else. It'll kill our view of how God sees us. It'll kill the view of the love that we have. It'll comparison hides and suppresses and um, stops the reminder that we've been made in his image for his purposes according to his love. We lose sight that Jesus has died for us. He's bled for us. Comparison kills us, destroys us, takes life away from us every day of the week. Just watch social media and watch what we get caught up in. I know I almost got caught up in it this week, watching what, you know, seeing what, and over the last 18 months, seeing what other churches are doing. And you think, man, what else could we do? Should we be doing more? Have we be doing more? And in the midst of this, God says to me on a number of occasions, Simon, faithful lives will bear the greater fruit. That's not very exciting, is it, really? <laughs> but comparison will be a killer every day of the week. And jealousy just feeds it. Absolutely. Jealousy feeds it. See, anything that happens in the name of Jesus is a great gift. And anything, anything from a great miracle to seeing something unhealed to receiving and blessing someone with a cup of cold water. Now, keep that in mind. Jesus celebrates the miracle, celebrates the work that this man had done in the name of Jesus, knowing if he uses the name of Jesus, declares the name of Jesus in one moment, he can't speak against him the next moment. A miracle. You know, that signs and wonders that says the kingdom of God is amongst them, something powerful, something we, yes, something that excites faith. And then Jesus says, and you know what? Even if you receive a cup of cold water, we don't often consider those small things as miracles, do we? What does it look like to serve the least of these with the least of the ways? Comparison, because we, you know, we don't compare the cups of cold water, do we? We don't go, oh, well done, you gave someone a cup of cold water. And yet it's just as rich a gift, I think Jesus is saying, as the great miracles of life and faith and healing. Those invitations to bless one another, to encourage one another, to serve one another in the simplest of ways and the most powerful of ways. 
And it just goes to show that um, we all have different expressions. I think it's a great reminder that we're all uh, invited to express our life and our faith and our willingness to die to ourselves in an expressions of ways, in a variety of ways. Sorry. Oh. We, all, we might all feel like all these expressions are being taken away from us at the moment. But I think, and I want to encourage us today, where there are people of faith expressing the heart of Jesus, there is kingdom life and there is hope. Where there are people of faith who are declaring, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. Now, it doesn't have to be something big, but to say in the name of Jesus, I offer this. There is hope. And we offer as a gift and as Jesus shows us time and time and time again, some will pick it up and some won't. But what I do know is that competition, complaining and comparison will squash and destroy any kingdom life in you. There'll be some people watching this sitting here and going, oh, I can never do that. I've never been a part of that. No, maybe not. But maybe that's not what Jesus is asking you to be a part of either. And that's okay. Maybe your call is to do the great miracles. We can all do it, but maybe your call is just as powerful in offering the cup of cold water. And we can all do that. See, following Jesus is about serving out of the love of the Father. Remember, he says, whoever welcomes one of these little ones welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the Father. Even in that moment, Jesus is saying, hey, don't forget this. Don't lose sight of this. Serving the least of these is an expression of being in relationship with the Father. You must be in relationship with the Father above all else. The greatest miracles, the giving the cups, the cold waters, out of relationship, not for any credit, not for any kudos, simply out of the joy of being in relationship with the Father. Um, and this is what it will mean for us to die to ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. What will that look like for you this week? What, might, what does it look like as you reflect on the last week for you? How, God, how might God might be inviting you to welcome the least of these, to proclaim the miracles, to offer the cold water? What does it look like to simply celebrate and bless what other people have been able to do and ce celebrate their success, if you like, to celebrate how they've been able to express their love and their faith? And then to be encouraged by that so that, hey, I can take who I am and who God has called me to be and go and offer that in our community. Because I think, friends, whatever our government chooses to do, whatever decisions they make, if we took that seriously, that would, again, shape and influence our community like no other. And if we have Christians who are willing to take up the cross again, learn what it means to live in obedience to the Father, then that will shape our community in powerful ways, transform our community in the name of Jesus. Look, I, I know, I know, and I've heard it, and I perhaps, I know, not perhaps, I have said it. It's easy to point the finger at others. It's easy to say why we don't or why we can't or why we've been hurt. And in that moment, I've had to re-examine, re-evaluate whose kingdom I am seeking to build and whose kingdom I want to be a part of serving. If we want to live with purpose, friends, the invitation is to serve in ways small, and large. My prayer is that our kingdom might not be one of competition, one of comparison, 
but one of faithfully and generously serving the Father's purposes. While our world is in upheaval, maybe it's time to take on a different kingdom perspective, to learn again the way of obedience, the way of the cross. And welcome the Father. God, we want to thank you for who you are. We remember who you are. We give thanks for your example through Jesus. We give you thanks that you continue to invite us to participate in life with you, to reveal the expression and the ways of your kingdom in all that we are and in all that we do. Holy Spirit, I pray that you might speak to each of us now. Whenever we hear this, whenever we watch this, as, as your word just pours out over us, Father, that you'd bring new revelation, new insight, uh, new healing, new conviction into our hearts, minds, and spirits, into the ways that we participate in life with the least of these and with those that we have known for a long period of time, Father, that we might know again what it is to take up our cross and to follow you. May we live our lives with our altar. We're coming to your altar giving our lives to you in every way so that people would know the good news of Jesus. Amen.